0: Thanks and praise for the last two chapters of the Bible. Oh my Such a wonderful, glorious picture painted beautifully for us so we can see and imagine and picture it in our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, help us to grow in understanding, uh, love, and appreciation for you and your saving grace and the ability to share it more readily with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's illustration that we're working on Revelation chapter 21 and the overall theme whoops got to turn it on and go. overall theme is I am making everything what? new so here's the new heaven the new earth we got who's this over here the bride of Christ see it's the bride she's got the flowers <laughs> <laughs> those are flowers. So very nice. Nothing really expensive. Bride has her flowers. the room. How do we? Who is this? Who's the room? Jesus. We know that because he's got a crown and a happy face. And what how else? We know it's Jesus. Got in the nail marks. But he's not gonna have those in heaven, yeah, right? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. So for eternity, we're going to be reminded gloriously of how much he love this. <clears throat> this is nonsense from high school, together forever, T.F. Uh-huh. T.L.A., true love always. Discover that that only happened in Sioux City and Sioux Iowa. Nowhere else. <laughs> I may or may not have things like this in my yearbook from my girlfriend. So. <clears throat> That's the other Lisa. Mm-hmm. Spell smell different too. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, great, There was another good Lisa. This leads us way better. Huh? Well, yeah. Conversation for another day. Yeah. I tell the confirmation kids all about it. I watch, it. that's when I'm training them about in inner relationships. I teach them all the things I didn't write. Right? There you go. And so we did do this last Sunday one of the, some of the most wonderful promises about eternity with God in his presence is no more Good morning. Death, no more mourning, crying, pain, or morning? tears. Okay. Okay. So have fun with that illustration as you see fit. We're in Revelation because. chapter 21, and I don't think I really mentioned this. Last time, it, chapters nine, halfway through chapter 19, we get the very first of the seven visions. John says, I saw this, I saw that. And he does it seven times. The seventh one opens chapter 21. And so in a sense, all of chapter 21 and 22 are the seventh vision, the whole thing. So you get to the seventh one, it's, I saw the new heavenly earth," and then it's tons of extra detail. Um, about the new heavens and new earth, so that's where we're at. Uh, verses one through five is where we. Verse five is where we finished up last Sunday. <clears throat> Let's just start with that today, chapter twenty-one, verse five. And so, this kind of hit me last night as I was finishing up my prep. He was seated on the throne. Now, before we had a voice, we often hear about like verse 3. And they heard a loud voice from the throne that's not actually the voice of God. It's probably an angel. That says, So then we get in verse 5 He was seated on the throne, said, So what's that obviously? Who's speaking now in verse 5? God Himself. That's only the second time that happens in the whole book of Revelation. First ones, way back in chapter one. So that's kind of interesting. Like you know, bookends. Voice of actual God in the first chapter. Voice of actual God in the second to last chapter. But this is the actual voice of God speaking. John writing it down for us in verse five. He who was seated on the throne said, "I am making everything new." Then God said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." So you can bank on this. God himself spoke to, not that you can't trust what the angels are saying. We're not saying that. But God says, I'm speaking to you directly myself. Write this down. You can bank on these words being true. Okay. Verse 6, new material. <clears throat> he said to me, so who continues to speak? God does. God continues to speak. This is this is a long long section in a sense he said to me it is done what does that bring to mind creation yeah crucifixion jesus put it what's one thing he said from the cross it is finished so at that point what's finished on the cross payment for sin has been completed finished what's done here he said to me it is done whole thing is done. The making new is done. Uh, we're going into eternity. Yeah, it's, it's all done. You could say, you could maybe throw in there, um, human history has been completed. You could maybe say that. Literally, the it is done is um, something closer to it has come to pass has been completed. All, all that I've planned and laid out for you in the prophets has now been zipped up tight. You get that sense on the cross too. So what is what's the one of the last things Jesus said on the cross that the Bible actually says he said this because he was fulfilling prophecy two little things. I thirst. And You go know, why is that yeah, well Bible says, you might remember in the Psalms, it's prophesied that he would be thirsty while giving his life for on the cross. makes sense with all the blood loss and everything. Uh, But you get the feeling like that's the last tiniest little prophecy to be fulfilled to finish the prophecies about the crucifixion. Um, So here we have every last little thing, prophecy about The end times and the final judgment, (coughs) Um, everything being made new, it's all been accomplished, it has come to pass. So God said to John, it is done, it has come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So just a little pop quiz again. So Alpha and Omega, what is where does that come from? Alpha and Omega, what are they? Greek letters. Letters yes, of the Greek, Greek alphabet. Letters, of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the very first letter. Omega is the very last letter of the Greek alphabet. So for us to be like, I am the A and the Z. Okay? First and the last. Uh, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? God is the beginning and the end. I, I didn't think God had a beginning or an end. The creation of him. Say mm. okay, louder. The creation. Okay. God's creation. Okay, the old creation has come to an end. Okay, nothing else outside of me. Other ways to, this is a, pretty big name. It's got a lot of, yeah, I have everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes along with that, with everything is finished. Very, very good. Um, it feels to me, Life sounds to me like because I mean there is no beginning or end with God He's eternal. So to me it's um, God is the beginning and the end. God is the beginning of anything that has a beginning like creation, life itself, that happened because of God. Um, human history, um, all that stuff has come to an end. There's nothing more new to write. So, so that is that's the Z. Uh, everything everything, human history-wise and creation-wise that had a beginning and has an end, uh, God was in command and in charge of that, he was sovereign over it. So yeah, lots of wonderful things included in that that big name, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. <clears throat> so I submit to you that uh, the gospel is powerfully embedded in that one sentence. How how is that? How is the gospel You can drink from the waters of life. What do you have to do to receive that amazing water-filled life? It's given to you, how? No cost, no cost. without cost. What's, what's that Exactly. <laughs> exactly, price to paid. Ephesians two eight and ten, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. <clears throat> so there is, it's a gift, it's free, it's no cost to you. Was there cost involved? Yeah. With this grace gift being made available? Yeah, at great cost. Lots yeah. of silver and over. No, it was no cost. Jesus. Right. The life, the blood of Christ on the cross. So the gospel is powerfully embedded here to him who is thirsty. So, is they, you want to be careful, but is there a qualification for receiving eternal life, giving waters, and the lost? Understanding that I I need a Savior and wanting that. So, I mean, you got to be careful with this because we're not, we're not going to make it into a, a prerequisite or some kind of goodness in us that God sees thirst in you and therefore he saves you. We're, we're not going there but the deal is the gift is presented to all. Does everybody on the planet have a chance to, to believe and receive Jesus? Uh, sure. Does everyone receive it? No. Why doesn't everyone receive it? Yeah, you know, there needs to be a desire, uh, a thirst and a desire to invent my own sin, repent of it to uh, seek and ask for and desire a savior. And not everybody does. <clears throat> this is one of the things that drives us kind of crazy is people destroy their lives and beating their heads against the wall. But you tell them about Christ, no, I got this. I don't want him. I don't need him. I can do this on my own. All of that kind of nonsense that we throw out there. Goodness. But... It's really clear. If you're not thirsty, then you're not going to drink from the water that's offered. If you don't drink from the water that's offered, you don't have eternal life. It's kind of simple. And it's powerful. But like last Sunday, Ephesians 2, if you're dead in <laughs> your trespasses, something miraculous has to happen there for the thirst to be awakened. for The faith to happen, all those kinds of wonderful things, pretty deep stuff. And was thirsty, I would give you without cost, from the spring of the water of life. <clears throat> um, any passages come to mind in the Bible that speak to this being thirsty and waters of life? Is this a first time brand new thing that, that we've never seen scripture before, or is it there in other places? Woman at the well, Woman at the well, John chapter 4. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty much word for word. It's John chapter 4. You know, and there's a a woman, just a person, but a woman. Has she in any way, shape, or form earned the gift that God wants to give her? You know, pretty messed up life, right? On her fifth or sixth guy, decided, why bother to marry at this point? Because it hasn't worked before. Uh, John chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus answered her the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God, so does Jesus verify that it's a gracious gift? He presents it right there. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he, he would have given you what? Living water. So does Jesus... Uh, In a sense, in this whole conversation, you could spend an hour and just have a blast. Does he awaken the thirst in her? It's it's fascinating. This is one thing we can pray for people who aren't saved yet. And this is what the Holy Spirit's endeavoring to do. He endeavors to awaken the thirst. Okay, So her life has gone down a dumper, and um, she probably has little or no hope. Holy Spirit, Jesus, awaken the thirst in her. How does he do that? Of showing her that she's still loved and that God's willing to forgive and wants to forgive and that she can be a child of God. So keep in mind, we tend to we tend to point out people's sins and failings. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. We need to know that the Holy Spirit's leading. Did Jesus point out her need for forgiveness along the way in the conversation? Yes, he did. He said, uh, go, go get your husband He gave her opportunity to admit, to confess her sin, right? And she did. Like, well, I don't have a husband. That's right, you're on your sixth man. Okay, but, so he brought the law, but he did it in a loving way, asked a question, let her process it, and uh, let the thirst awaken. Uh, That's what I say, it's a fascinating, wonderful, wonderful interaction I'm so so glad John recorded it for us. So <clears throat> jump down to verse 13. <clears throat> Jesus still talking about water. Of course, not about physical water from the well, but the water we're talking about here in Revelation. So John 4, 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to what? Eternal life, a spring of water. So back in Revelation, God says to John, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Fasting pretty much, pretty much word for word with a little different approach, right? Then go to John chapter seven, verse thirty-seven. And this is one of the most dramatic moments in the whole Gospel of John. It's a festival. Thousands of Jews are in Jerusalem. <clears throat> they do this cool thing where the priests go down to the Pool of Siloam and they, get, they use a golden pitcher and they get water from it and bring it up to the altar in the temple and they pour the water on it while they say a particular verse from Isaiah. And it's about you know, waters and life and, and uh, so forth. And water and God. So this water event is happening and Jesus in John chapter 7 verse 37 said on the last and greatest day of this particular feast Jesus stood and said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty now, here you go it's, it's like oftentimes Jesus spoke parables and the other parables he often said if anyone has ears to hear let them hear very much like describing the same kind of thing. Like, you know, if you're thirsty, start drinking. If you've got ears to hear, start listening. So, so here it is. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So the gospel of John, John was all over this living water. And obviously, the encounter with the woman at the well made a huge impression upon him. And the living water being thirsty was a huge part of the conversation with that woman. So then John highlights later on when Jesus shouts this amazing invitation. It's a salvation invitation, right? All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Um, So there's some fantastic history here. So I go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 in the middle of verse 6 <clears throat> something interesting let's go ahead and start verse 6 so God says to me to John it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end the, the whole thing has been completed and then, you, and then what was the whole thing about what was this whole period of human history about it was about God offering as a free gift salvation to people who would be hungry and thirsty to receive it isn't that cool when you put those two together What's it all been about? To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Wow. Now this is going to be followed on the heels and this. this. is going to be in the flip side. For those who have not been thirsty, who have refused the water, here's the here's the downside. But this is the heart of God, the purpose of God, throughout human history, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Purpose has been to offer without cost salvation to those who would receive it. Anything else through verse six? Comments or questions come to mind? The spring comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Spring never mm. Good. Right. Springs uh, are the source of rivers and stuff. For the vast majority of the time, the spring never goes dry you could have an earthquake and it might mess things up. But I mean, in general, springs are reliable. Um, Go on forever, so that lends itself to the eternal aspect of it. Very good. Anything else there? Okay, verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God He will be my son. Okay, again, we're we're at the end of Revelation, so we might expect themes to be wrapped up, themes to be brought back to mind. So we had living water. It was just thrown in here. Not thrown in here, but living water's in here. That's a a biblical theme that's being wrapped up and completed. What else is a theme here in verse 7 that's brought back to mind for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. yeah, very good. So, overcoming and overcomers is a huge ongoing theme in the scriptures. Um, Paul even talked about it in very in great detail. They we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. good, notorious. And um, you know we we've, we've been in like a years in Revelation, but you can dust off your brain and go back to wherever the are overcomes a lot in the Book of Revelation. The way back, the letters to the seven churches, every single letter at the end, Christ the letter with, "To the one who overcomes, I will give this." And they were always the, to the one who overcomes, the promises were always related to eternity. Blessings in heaven, eternity, rewards in heaven. So the Lord, obviously, God wants us to come back to that. So what's what's the whole theme of revelation for us? We need to be prepared to overcome. We need to be prepared to go through difficult times, difficult things, hang on to Jesus no matter what, um, because all the promises are received by those who overcome. Who overcomes will inherit all this. All this what? What's what's what are we gonna inherit? We do want to list a ton of things about heaven, right? Eternity. But we're gonna we're gonna inherit all these things. A new heaven and a new earth. That's what that chapter began with. We're gonna inherit a new heaven and a new earth. A place made for us by Christ himself. Each one of us has our own particular place. Just being in the presence of God. Yeah. Being in the presence of God. Tabernacling with God. Uh, we're going go to go tent camping with God. That <laughs> that close. up close and personal. You know, I mean, now I know we have tents with multiple rooms, but <laughs> the idea is that great big tent. We're all together in each other's presence in the tent. That's the word tabernacle. What that literally means is tenting together. And that's the word God uses for I will be with you. I will, tab- I will tabernacle with you forever. I'll come down and be your God and be with you. Okay? Excellent. <clears throat> so that I want to emphasize this. He who overcomes will inherit all this. So, if we don't overcome, what's in jeopardy? The inheritance. The inheritance is in jeopardy. So, he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So, there's only only men in heaven. Is that what the text is saying? Nope. No. Yes, sir. No. It might be I'm starting a riot more helpful to our, <laughs> our ears. It said he who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my inheritance. That's why it says they will be my sons, because in this culture only the sons inherited for the ninety five like percent of the time. Okay, children, sure. And that's and I don't I don't have a big problem with that. Um, in this case, it's it's fine for the translators to do that. I would say the the word literally in the Greek is sons, and it's that way on purpose to say even the daughters will inherit. The daughters will inherit just like the sons. That's why it says we will inherit as sons. Okay. It's just like. So if we, the sons if we change to children, that pretty it's much works culture because <laughs> you know, in America. The boys and girls of mom and dad pretty much inherited. It depends on sometimes there's farm land and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's nuances. But in our culture, um, if all you got is money to leave to your kids, and you got a couple of girls, a couple of boys, you pretty much, in general, you're just like divided equally among the kids. Okay? So that works for us to say um, all the inheritors inherit like children. But in this culture, the culture that the scriptures was written, that would not fly. It would not make sense. It would clash. But for them to hear that we're all going to inherit like sons in this verse of the, of the girl's soul, wow, we need to inherit just like the boys do. When it comes to that really matters, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to all the stuff God has to offer, we need everything just like do. So, so that's why it's this way, literally. I will be as God, you will be my son. Um, that wondrously, gloriously includes the ladies. Okay, does that make sense? Is that clear? Clear? Okay. So this inheritance thing, boy, do we go bananas for inheritance here on planet on, on Earth? in general humanity. How do we do with inheritance? Starts family feuds. Yeah, but what often happens with inheritance among the like, Yeah, it gets it gets, it often gets wonky. I've seen now and then even in families that I thought were pretty solid and you know weren't, weren't poor and stuff like that, the the last parent passes away and the knives come out it's just it's something else so inheritance in the fleshly realm is often a big deal to us it's a big deal to God and he gives he gives of course perfectly and and wonderfully Um, so let's talk about inheritance for a second what are we all going to get all believers in Christ we're all going to get eternal life we're all going to be in heaven right so there's we're all getting the same in that regard um do we all get the same full tilt? No. There's there's crowns, right? There's crowns for us individually. I don't think we're going to be walking around counting how many crowns are in each other's piles, because that would lead to sin, and we're not going to sin in heaven, amen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, we, we all get the good stuff. The best stuff. We all get the cake. Some, some of the icing is going to be thicker than others. On heart, really. <laughs> yeah, not a big deal. There was a I was thought going back to my son. So we are married. We're the bride. So the son gets everything. If we're married to the son, we get it. Oh that's right. good too. Another, sure. Never thought of the family. Right. So Tim's saying, well, we're the bride and we're married to the son. No and the son receives everything. <laughs> and his father. <laughs> it is the <laughs> only okay, son. So you get everything That's another way to look at it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like that. That's right. <laughs> Pre-marital agreement or something. Anything else through verse 7? <laughs> verse 8. Here's the... One of the few little, quote negative, little one of the few negative things in chapters 21 and 22. So we look at the big picture. God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Everything that has a beginning, it, has, it begins by my command. Everything that has an end, it's by my command. I'm sovereign. Um, and the whole thing about human history has been about me offering this free gift of salvation to all who are thirsty and willing to drink from it. And then when you drink from it, then you need to walk with me and hold fast to me and overcome through hard times. And when you overcome, you will inherit all these amazing things that I have prepared for you. Then here's the flip side verse eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Thank you. Okay, so I think it was a fad about five years ago that some big evangelical churches in America fell off the cliff with there is no hell, we're all going to heaven, God's got a love. Um, So I don't know what to do with passages like this, but uh, their memberships dropped like a rock. Praise God. Most of the people realized that they were preaching nonsense and that they had stopped being biblical Christians and walked away. Those churches crumble. There are some other churches that need to crumble by walking away from ridiculous preachers, but at least in this regard, those churches went down. But uh, we probably have, and we have different translations that there were occasionally different words than the ones I read. But we all have the same translation. There's two or three words that could be different vocabulary thrown out, but. So the first one says, but the, the cowardly, uh, literally that's the fearful. Um, you can also put the timid. Okay, so earlier Paul writes on one occasion, um, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Literally, it's a spirit of timidity. God has not given that to us. If we have a spirit of fear and timidity and, and cowardice, for the name of Christ. That doesn't come from God. Who else could it come from God? see. Okay, so the, the verse Paul says, and he's writing to Timothy, who had kind of a, Timid. apparently. So Paul writes to him, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Timothy. God, in fact, has given us a spirit of power, love, power, and strong mind. A sound mind it says, stand up, be a man of God, and what God has given you. Okay? It's not even, a, you don't have to rely on your own strength, rely on God's strength, but then stand in that and be a man of God. So, but this is, this is tricky, right? Honestly, tricky. We have to be knowledgeable and gracious and careful with this. The fearful, the cowardly. So anybody in the New Testament, were they uh, fearful and cowardly in the moment and yet we saw God give grace and forgiveness and re- re- restore them later? Have they come to mind? Peter is the biggest, most amazing example. How many times did he eat chicken out and deny Christ? Three times. So Jesus said, you're done. You're a coward. Hit the road. Well, Forgave him three times, restored him, made him one of the top two pillar leaders of the, the new Church in Christ. So, what do we do with all that? Well, some would, and I, I, I like this conversation. Some would say, "Well, that was before Peter had received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Pentecost hadn't happened yet." That's that's true. I mean after Pentecost, um, after the crucifixion, how were the disciples doing with the cowardly, fearful? <laughs> they were hiding in a locked room, afraid for their lives <clears throat> until Jesus came along and showed himself. And even Matthew says uh, they were still doubting. Some were still doubting when he went up into the clouds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but again, they still had received what? Who? The Holy Spirit. After the Holy Spirit, do we see evidence of cowardice, timidity, fearfulness in the disciples? We don't have any examples of that. We have examples of sin, and it, roofing it up. But we don't have any examples of cowardice or fearfulness or a timid spirit. We see all 12, well, 11 of them died for Christ. And John, God just preserved his life. God had purposes for John. They tried to kill him lots of times, but they, they weren't successful. They threw him into boiling oil and tried to burn him at the stake and nothing worked. So apparently God in that situation said, ah, go ahead and try and kill my, my servant, I'm not going to let you. But he wasn't, he didn't run screaming away from those things. So I don't have a verse from the Bible that says, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll never be empowered. I don't have a verse that says that. But boy, there's strong evidence that when I have the Holy Spirit, yeah, so does God want us to be afraid right now that, oh, the end times going to come and I'm going to be empowered and I'm going to lose it all? Nope. That's not what he's going for. So you look—you got to look at the whole salvation package, right? The whole package. When I'm saved in Christ, I'm going to have a great love for who? The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So when I'm saved in Christ Jesus, if that's real, I'm going to have a great love for my God who saved me. And I'm going to have a love for the people around me. So, there's different evidences of me walking with Jesus. Um, I love reading the Jesus Freaks books, um, the martyr stories, foxes Martyrs is an old, old one the days. Um, I love reading those because you don't see timidity, cowardice, or fear. When somebody loved Jesus, those uh, terrible persecutions come along. You just see them, even men and women, all different situations. You see them calmly, graciously, firmly standing for Christ. I believe that's a Holy Spirit gift and um, working and function in their lives. So I just want to be an encourager today. So we look at all the lists together. He's not saying when Christians are cowardly, their inheritance is going to be taken away. He's saying there are people who have never been believers who are cowardly and fearful in their approach to life.
1: Because all the rest of them, the
0: unbelieving, is he talking to Christians there? Who, who, who lose it for some reason? No. Uh, the vile. Um, you might, the might say the abominable. That's where, I, I can't, some of this stuff in the news today, I can't read it. I look at the headline, I'm like, I cannot read that. I mean, almost daily, there's stuff, you know, moms murdering their babies, and there's horrifying stuff. is going. vile stuff that's happening. Uh, the sex trafficking, this, that, and the other thing, this stuff is off the charts. It's vile. It's abominable. Well, wow. we're not taking salvation from unbelievable we there, right? Uh, the murderers. The sexually immoral—that's something I think the church has compromised almost lock, stock, and barrel, lock, stock, and barrel in America. But that's that's any sex. That's including adultery. That's fornication. Uh, the word fornication usually gets applied to having relations before marriage, but it applies to any immorality. So any sexual relations outside of husband and wife is included there. Does that mean somebody who, is, who has done that is, is going to hell? There's no chance. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about people who, in their unbelief, practice these sins and have no problem with that. There's no desire for repentance. There's no acknowledgement that it's sin. Okay? So we have people trumpeting all kinds of morality today, saying it's a wonderful thing. Go be free and do it, right? Okay, that's an example of a total rejection of God. So that's the folks we're talking about here. So the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who pursue and push that. Go back to one of the letters to the churches in Revelation two or three, talks about Jezebel, prophetess, named her Jezebel. She was encouraging Christians to go ahead and experience sexual morality. And God says, I'm bringing her down. I've told her to stop it. I've told her to repent and she's refusing. So I'm gonna cause her to die a Physical illness on, an, on her deathbed, and those who follow her in the refuse to repent, I'm going to kill them too because I'm going to send a message to all the churches. You can't be playing around with that stuff, that's detrimental to your eternal destination. Okay, so if, if we refuse to have any uh, repentance or anything, that's what we're talking about. The section more those who practice magic arts, so sorcery, witchcraft, the use of drugs. I just read this this week. There's um, a natural psycho drug from South America that uh, you drink it. And most people, make makes them throw up. But still, the, the chemical gets in there, and it gives you hallucinations and stuff that takes you on a ride for four or five or six hours. And they're coupling that with, you know, being free and having spiritual experiences and stuff. And so far in America, you know, freedom of religion most states have said, well, I guess we can't stop that because it's a religious practice. So churches are popping up all over Southwest America and now elsewhere too. But they, they gather and they go into a tent and the shaman says, okay, you know, hocus pocus, do yocus, drink your stuff. And then they go out the tent and they all work out into the grass and then they lay in there and go bananas for a while for five or six hours and pat wow. each other on the back. Aaron Rodgers did this. You know, famous wow. quarterback for Green Bay Packers. You wonder about him spiritually. I think he's uh, testing out some stuff and I think he's out there. But his name caught my eye, like, whoa, Aaron Rodgers be hanging out and doing this. I can't remember the name of it. Ayahuasca. 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 So <laughs> that's, that's included in this practicing magic arts. The use of drugs to try and get a Closer connection to the spiritual realm. Uh, idolaters, and I tell you, idolatry—you uh, can idolize your favorite NFL football team. You can idolize government. You can worship government leaders. You can worship your Social Security check. I mean, there's there's a million different ways you can be an idolater. If you aren't trusting God Almighty Himself for life and salvation and all you need, then you've probably got an idol. And all liars, boy, that one kind of jumps out of this, doesn't it? <laughs> how, how is this? What's the spiritual climate in Washington D.C. like? Look It's a cesspool. It's a cesspool of lies and liars. Not every single one of them. I'm not saying that, but the cesspool of lies. And God says, "You're a liar. You have no trouble with it. You rejoice in it." You've made it your lifestyle. If you do not know Christ, you're going to hell. Okay, so I don't know how we end up on the negative stuff. We got go through (laughs) it. Awesome, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. You're going to finish it. It's finished for us in Christ on the cross. And then you're going to bring human history to an end. So no more death, no more mourning, crying, pain. I was so thankful for grace. grace. Jesus, give us opportunities to pray for people, love people, and share Christ Jesus with them so that the thirst in them might be awakened and they could drink of eternal life before it's too late. Jesus, in your precious name, we pray. Amen.